Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. What's the difference between people who have one sort of trauma and a slew of traumas and how do they bounce back from adversity? Mm-hmm. No matter how big or small that is, because we're all going to go through it some way. Either you lose a job, you get fired, somebody betrays you, you're cheated on. There is some sort of loss and loss happens in many different ways. You lose your your wealth. I mean, there is that sense of yeah. loss and how do we process that? And no matter what, so many times around the sun, the same answers kept coming back. It's grit and resilience. It's your ability to have the tenacity to move forward, knowing that this period of time is tough. Hey friends, I have such a treat for you today, and it is one of my really good friends, Nita Bouchon. She is the co-founder of the Global Grit Institute, author of two books. She's got another one coming out soon, author, speaker, entrepreneur, and all around seriously magical human. I Every time she's in the room, it's this beautiful energy that comes in, and what's so surprising about it is that she has dealt with so much loss in her life, and, um, and hence is such a great person to be running a Grit Institute, of all things, and she does events all around the world with her husband. They're amazing. And I'm just so excited to ask her questions about how to cope with loss because I know a lot of you here have dealt with all sorts of loss or you have a loss pending. So let's face it, this is the fact of life. Like we're here for a limited amount of time. And um, whether you've dealt with a huge loss as far as a death, a breakup, or maybe one of your parents is sick, I hope not. These are all things that I know we have to deal with. And so I figured who better to talk to than somebody who has gone through it with so much grace Nita, thank you for being here with me. Oh, Ash, it's such an honor to have this conversation and such a needed conversation, especially at the stage that we are all at. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Me too. I feel like I have been waiting to talk to you because I have so much around loss that I haven't shared with this audience because I think every time I do these podcasts, I'm like, okay, I need to like highlight this guest. And although I'll talk about myself in the context of the subject, like loss is not something that I talk a lot about. And I feel like I know how much has weighed on your heart over the years. And so whatever you're willing to share about your story, I think is so powerful for everybody. Mm, Yeah. I feel like loss in, in general has been such a, uh, you know, such a profound aspect of my life and in all of the things 
things that I show up doing now. Um, and of course, yeah, for your audience, I think that we can, we can go back to the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I was, I was born and raised in Chicago and, um, to immigrant parents and my, my father was from India. My mom was from the Philippines and, you know, they, uh, they wanted this, this American dream and uh, they, funny enough, they both immigrated here to the U S uh, from their countries and met in Chicago. And, um, then quite a few years later, they had me. So I was the oldest of two younger brothers and it was always instilled in us to have this, um, you know, they were, they were kind of like the tiger parents. So education, driven, success driven, accolade driven, and all of those things. Um, so we were in, we were in piano lessons when we were young, we were in like Indian dance classes, uh, you know, ballet and, and the whole, the whole throttle, the whole shebang. But our, our life had a very interesting twist because I, I grew up really early. Um, at 10 years old, I found myself being the caretaker of my mother who was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so that would be the first journey of being able to literally grow up during my teens for those six years of watching her um, succumb to that disease. And my weekends were spent, you know, in the hospital. Mm. Her breast cancer was slowly, uh, it went in remission a couple times and then it actually spread uh, in her lungs and then through her brain at the very last stages. And so you know, to be young and really my, my formative years were literally spent. Um, my girlfriends would come over and I wouldn't be going on dates. I would be saying, Hey, come out and hang out at the, at the intensive care unit, you know, at this hospital. So that was really my upbringing. And my brothers and I, we would do little dances for my mom because most of the time she was really ill, especially at the late stages, but that lasted, uh, she was 16 or excuse me, I was 16 when she passed away. And for those six years, not only was it really tough on my very um, immigrant Indian father, but also my little brothers, they, you know, we all didn't know any better. We didn't know that there's a life outside of, you know, just being children uh, because we had to tailor to a lot of the family that was coming in and out and uh, be there for our mom. Mm. And then a year later, um, and this was, oh, I want to say I was, I was, I was going into my senior year of high school. So senior year, you guys know it's homecoming time. You're applying for colleges. It's, you know, it's all of that. And I was ready. I was excited. I thought I was going to be going to finally leaving Chicago for the first time ever um, and really starting my life. And um, during homecoming, and it's interesting we're having this conversation because uh, the anniversary uh, was was a couple days ago, but... Um, it was around this time and, um, my brother, DJ, who was 16 months younger than me, we were, we were besties. Uh, he was like my rock solid, um, and really my, my, my first best friend. We had done everything together. Um, and we just, we went to different high schools, but they were across the street from each other and we were supposed to meet for homecoming. 
And that didn't happen because he had an asthma attack and he, um, he collapsed in front of his school mm-hmm. and it happened to be on my youngest brother's, uh, my youngest brother, Vinay's 12th birthday. And so that was like, wow. So he collapsed and they tried to revive him, um, and they couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so he passed away on the spot, uh, and died at 15 years old. Yeah. And that was literally a year after my mom died. And so our, at this point, we're shocked. We are completely shocked. Our entire family is shocked. My father goes into a very deep depression. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he had yeah. just lost his son. And Ash, you know what this is like, um, you know, with your sister. Yeah. Uh, and he lost his wife. Uh, and our family was was just in an in intense grieving mode and almost survival mode to an extent because um, here I am, I couldn't, there was no way I could ever leave for, for college at this point. Um, I had to step up and take care of my family. Uh, at this point I had to, you know, not, not only work one job, not two jobs, but I was working three jobs and just to really support my family. We had other family members that really stepped in, uh, luckily enough for, you know, our, our Asian families, uh, we had aunts and uncles um, and cousins that really stepped in to help take care of of us, uh, both financially and, and even just mentally and spiritually. Um, so that's really, that was that walk. And then two years later, so I decided to go to college um, at Loyola University in Chicago. It was like 15 minutes from my house. And we were starting to rebuild our lives. And didn't really know what that looked like, but there was this like glimmer of, of hope. And, and there was this, uh, family wedding that we were going to, uh, and you know, in that family wedding, my youngest brother, Vinay decided to dye my dad's hair black, completely black because my dad was like a silver Fox and he had all this gray, gray hair. And we thought it would be fun. And, you know, during this time of loss, and we can talk about this, but, you don't feel like you can laugh and you don't feel like you, like everything has to be serious or at least that's kind of what I felt during that time. Like I felt bad to laugh or go out with friends. So it was a very weird and interesting time. And of course now I I have a different perspective around it. Um, but this was two years later where we finally decided to show our face to family and actually go to a family event. And my brother dyed my dad's hair black Mm -hmm. using this, this dye. And it sent him, basically he had a full allergic reaction. And this is full true story where his face completely blew up. And we were like, oh my goodness, what the hell is happening? Uh, so we had to, we took him to the emergency room and it was literally, you guys, like that feeling of like, shit, something bad's going to happen because oh this was kind of part of my life, like something bad's going to happen. And you feel that drop in your throat, in your stomach, that lump where you almost can't breathe. And then you get to the emergency room because his face literally grew twice the size. And I don't normally tell this story because it's just so much. Yeah, I've never actually Um, heard you tell me about this. Like, I'm sitting here processing this with you. Like, oh, my God. 
Yeah. And it was, you know, uh, so this was a, this was a shock, but so they did all this routine testing because this was an emergency room. And what they found was, um, they said, your dad's going to be okay. He had, he had this allergic reaction to the dye, but we need to take some more tests and we need to take some chest x-rays because there's something in his lungs. And after all of that, um, and all of the waiting and all, all, all of everything that you can imagine, uh, the doctors came back and they said, I'm so sorry, but he has stage four lung cancer Mm -hmm. and he has, they gave him seven months to live. And of course we were in complete denial, complete shock. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is just, this is two years later. And if I were to think about it, it was literally a span of those five years where you have extreme loss. And my dad survived only nine months later um, to a team and he was in and out of the hospital. But before I was 20, so I was 19, I had lost my mother, my brother and my father. And um, so I was charting my twenties, you know, with, um, this extensive, um, trauma and loss. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, how do you find joy after that? You know, cause I think this is like one scale, one side of the scale. And then other people, it's like, they're going through a breakup and they feel like their whole life is gone. It's like anything losses just can feel so big and so debilitating. Like how did you even start to move on? And and if I'm correct, you had your little brother still, right? Yeah. I I had my little brother. He was, he was 14 at the time and I became his, uh, his sole caretaker. So at that point I became not only a mother, which was completely ambiguous, and that's a full-on other conversation of, you know, um, two kids basically, you know, raising each other. And yes, we have the support of our family, but you ask, you know, how, what did you start to do? Yeah. And I think for me and, and what I talk about a lot is a lot of times people have different coping mechanisms, you know, whether it's, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's overworking, uh, whether it's busyness, um, shopping, any sort of addictions, it tends to happen. And for myself, for myself, it became this overachieving Mm -hmm. busyness, distraction mentality, which was almost our saving grace in some ways. Of course it comes back, you know, in different ways, um, which is what I teach now along the lines of burnout and, you know, how to, how to deal with, you know, your, your overachievements. But when it comes down to the root of it, because we are talking about loss, that's really what was triggered. And because I had this really strict, um, Asian upbringing, this tiger parenting is what I, you know, what, 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 what's been called. All I knew was to, I wanted to make my then dead parents proud Mm. as weird as it sounded. And that meant I'm not going to have, and I'm not going to be an excuse for a pity party. And that's literally what was in my head. So it was almost like my entire self went into full overdrive. 
of like, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to accomplish and make that the priority. Mm. And that's what I did all my twenties. And and of course, you know, this, um, you know, while of course getting, I've had a therapist since I was about uh, 14 years old, um, to try to process mm-hmm. all of the things. Uh, we've had different community uh, aspects. So, I mean, any sort of religious group that came by, uh, <laughs> we were likely part of it. I mean, I think we went to the mosque. Uh, we, we, had, we had sat Shabbat because we grew up on the north side of Chicago and we had a lot of Jewish friends. Um, we went to church. My mom was Catholic. We, we literally would do a lot of those things just to keep that our family wasn't in many ways, uh, you know, and this is kind of a past programming that I had, but broken. Um, and so we would go to church on Sundays. We would go to the temple. My dad was Hindu. We would go to the temple on Tuesdays to keep some of those traditions alive because Mm. we didn't want to lose what kind of held our family together for all that time. And I have to say that was likely the stronghold and that was likely the glue of what kept our sanity, especially during those times of loss. And, you know, we see this now in so many ways. Like I know that for myself, I am such a community builder and, and you know this too, Ash, yeah. like love having large groups around and, and that's what we've been able to do in many arenas and not just our business, but even the way we build our teams and, and the way we do things. And it's just come from a place of, I had extensive loss and I want to be able to, a motto that I live by every single day along with my husband is to serve love. How am I serving love? How am I adding love? How am I adding value to this person? Mm. Um, and it really stems from this upbringing of, well, you have no idea what may happen tomorrow. And, you know, it's, it's, it's led me to, you know, where, where we are today. Yeah. You, and it's what I love about you is you're such a reflection I've found of with the deepest uh, people that I know and the women who really have shifted my life, just including your presence. It's like, usually the brightest lights have the darkest darks, you know? And, um, when you come into a room, no one would, your, your trauma doesn't show or whether there's a lack of trauma, whether you've healed from it or not, it's like, that doesn't show on your face. That doesn't show up in your being. Whereas I know there's a lot of people who will go through that and it's going to wipe them out for years and they'll never totally recover. And I think a lot about, like my, so there, this, there's so much here, Anita. And because I'm just so connected to you as my friend, it's like so much easier to talk about it. But when I was a kid, like, first of all, my dad's had cancer twice and both were stage four. So it's kind of a miracle that he's still here, especially because the guy literally just ate a bagel this morning with a slice of butter thicker than like I don't even know how to describe the thickness of this butter. And he put like sugar on like the things he, he covers his bagel with butter and it pools into it. And then he puts cream cheese and bacon on top of the cream cheese on top of the butter. So this man is like a medical miracle. And, but he was married before he, and he's 78 and he looks like he's, he's 50. Like nobody can believe his age. And he's just a miracle human. Like, and 
I, I was thinking about how before my mom, he had a whole life, like he had a whole family and he had my big brother, my big sister with his first wife and they got a divorce. She ended up getting MS and passing mm-hmm. away right after they had decided to divorce. And my dad had created a lot of wealth and he lost his company, which I think a lot of you on this podcast know, because I talk about my own money mindset from that experience, but he created a lot of wealth. And so it was interesting, I think for my big brother and my big sister, because he moved on, he met my mom who was literally two decades younger than him. And she was so beautiful. And my big sister used to tell me, she thought like my sister, my mom was a gold digger. Like, why is she marrying this guy who's so much older? And, um, but then again, my dad lost everything and my mom has always stuck by him. They, They have such a good love. Um, but I look at my big brother and my big sister and like the loss of their mom and then the loss of like just the divorce, like the loss of the family structure. Um, my big brother became a workaholic. He literally worked for like the hardest I've ever seen. So like he just, anytime you'd say, do you want to do something this weekend? If it was a Sunday family dinner, he'd be like, I have to work. And it was always the answer. And he got a layoff about. I think six years or seven years ago. And I have never seen such a, and to me now in personal development, it's not that confusing, but at the time it was such a mind fuck. Um, right. Cause I was more focused on the career coaching side of things versus the mindset, even of though course. all of its mindset. And at yeah. that time yep. he lost his job and he just lost his mind with it. And it was like, he had to go to therapy to grieve his mom who died 20 years ago. And he would be actively crying on the phone to me about her. And my sister, you know, she got addicted to drugs right after her mom passed away and never recovered. So I understand the gravity of loss and how, and I'm so curious from your wisdom and from your research and from your brilliance, like you became a dentist and then you started this institute and you're an entrepreneur. Like, what do you think the difference is between people who get hit by a bus like that and thrive and the ones who don't. Yeah. It's, um, everything that you just mentioned and the different experiences that we can have as humans. And I love how you shared the vastness of of the two ways, both your big brother and your big sister, you know, coped. Um, because essentially I've been asked, I'm surprised you aren't in an asylum. Yeah. What did you do? I'm surprised you and your brother are on your two feet. Like you have every single excuse to not go on with life. And what did you do? Um, And that's really how I got my, my start into motivational speaking. This was way before I even transitioned from dentistry. It was one of the reasons why that was even a possibility was when, um, and, and, and I, and I think that, you know, it, there has to be, so with a lot of the research that I've done, because my first book was called emotional grit and it was really led by basically everything that I worked um, worked up towards up until this point. And, um, and in order to share that, I have to go back a little bit, but so that you guys can all have context, but throughout my twenties, you guys, I was, I was just like your big brother. I was like, okay, I'm going to prove to everyone that I'm not, you know, X, Y, and Z that I, I shouldn't be, 
you know, felt bad for, and my brother and I are going to get through this, this, this rut. Um, that was kind of in the back of my head, literally from 19 when I lost my father. And so for that decade, yeah, I became a, I became a dentist, not just a dentist, but a cosmetic dentist and basically built everything from the ground up, uh, graduated, got a practice right away. Um, because a lot of, and you know, we talk about this compounding, uh, where you compound your strengths, your abilities, as well as the things that all of the, the learning lessons that you've had in your life, whether it's a, a small loss or a breakup with a friend, a betrayal from a friend and things like that, which of course we all have experience. So for me, it was in my teens, I was like, okay, I knew I needed to make money to serve my family. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to understand human beings and human dynamics and human behavior because my mom, mom was in such extreme pain towards the end of her life that I wanted to make sure she still experienced joy. And so I was making her laugh while she was in the intensive care unit while my dad was, you know, suffering through depression. Like you, I learned a lot of those life skills where a lot of times you wouldn't, you can't quantify that. And that's not quite tangible, but, and so when I got into business mindset and owning my own practice, that was just another way of, okay, that part's easy, but what was not easy for me. And this is where, you know, this, this whole growth and, and the mindset of grit and what I talk about of grit and resilience is, is that I never focused on myself ever. Mm-hmm. And it was all about making other people happy, mm-hmm. every single person. And it was all about, because that's basically what you're taught being Asian. Everyone else comes before you. Everyone else's happiness comes before you. And that makes you happy, mm-hmm. which set me into this entire spiral of how I chose men in my life. Mm-hmm. And so from when I lost my mother until um, basically in my 20s, when I got to dental school, I was dating these repeated patterns. And that's where this showed up, oh. where I was dating men who were, I mean, emotionally abusive. Mm. And then it would lead me to meet my ex-husband. Mm. And that, because you were saying, what was, what was, you know, how did you get from here to here? Yeah, and, and what's huge. really that brought all of that change? Because I didn't realize all of this change into my, in my twenties, I was just trying to hustling hard to get through that rut. And then I would meet my ex-husband who would be this teacher, um, not the best teacher, mm-hmm. but he would be this person to teach me about unconditional love for myself. Mm. Um, where the relationship was so bad, was so volatile, was so dangerous that on December 31st, um, you know, and this was, this is eight years ago now where I was literally, I had, I had, you know, I had my million dollar dental practice. I wasn't even 30. I had, you know, the five story home. I had the first class travel. I had all the cars. I had all of the things. And I'm like, wow, anyone from the outside would be like, wow, she really made it. She, she really healed from all of her losses and look at her now. She's not just a cos, you know, a dentist, but she's a cosmetic dentist, mm-hmm. you know, lavish wedding. Uh, he was Indian as well. Like all of the things on paper, but I was literally crumbling inside 
And I was just finally looking at the mirror thinking, how the fuck did I get into this place? Mm -hmm. I was so scared for my life. And this was the first time I was actually fully, fully living in fear because I had not really, I, I didn't know who I was. I was lost. I thought that achieving was everything, but through the achievement, I didn't want anybody to think or know the truth. And the truth was that I was broken inside. Mm. And that broken feeling that I felt when I lost all of my family members, that feeling was now creeping up again, mm. it was creeping up, but it had to, because this man my ex-husband threatened my life, not only threatened my life, but threatened my brother's life. Mm. And it was that moment where I said, I have to leave. And this was, this was like a visceral fear of being in overlap, toxic relationships. Cause I had no idea who I was. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to create a family that I had lost. And I thought I did all of the right things, but I never coped. I never fully grieved. And so you asked me, what was all of that? Well, my big bust was almost 30 and I decided to take and pack my bags. Literally, I called the cops, filed a restraining order, got lawyers and, and a lot of things happened that were very testing around that time. I mean, um, you know, private investigators and we don't have to go through all of that, but you can only imagine oh leaving God. a man that never thought you would leave ever. And that really was the greatest gift of my growth because that's when I fully hit rock bottom. That's when I fully began to feel the depression and all of these overwhelming feelings of loss that I had literally bottled up, even though I had therapists, even though I had such a big community, but I never really worked through it. And that was really part of my early thirties walking into and doing all of this research, which led uh, because it took me through 45 different countries and really spending time with different types of people, mm. not just a players, not just people, you know, in the financial sector, not just people who are leaders or medical professionals or doctors or engineers or lawyers, but, but people who were shamans, people who were doing plant medicine, people who were in different walks of life in different parts of the world. And what I began to see was not only connecting the dots of my own life around emotional health, around emotional intelligence, and what's the difference between people who have one sort of trauma and a slew of traumas, and how do they bounce back from adversity? Mm. No matter how big or small that is, because we're all going to go through it some way. Either you lose a job, you get fired, somebody betrays you, you're cheated on. There is some sort of loss and loss happens in many different ways. You lose your, your wealth. I mean, there is that sense of yeah. loss and how do we process that? And no. no matter what, so many times around the sun, the same answers kept coming back. It's grit and resilience. Mm. It's your ability to have the tenacity to move forward, knowing that this period of time is tough. Wow. I... And that birthed, yeah, that birthed this book, Emotional Grit. Wow. And, and really birthed, you know, this next chapter, this, this new phase. Hey, you 
U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. It's so interesting because I'm listening to you and I'm just thinking so much about number one, rock bottom and how sacred it is. And that's one of the chapter titles of my book is rock bottom is sacred because just it is, it's like, Oh my God. Like my whole body was just responding to you talking about this. Number one, because, um, I was always in really good relationships with good guys. And then right after I called off my wedding, I was with a guy who was narcissistic and he threatened me. And it was just such a shock because I identified as somebody with high self-esteem and good wisdom. You know, like it was such an identity for me to be working in self-help and be able to understand myself and for Mm -hmm. me to end up in a relationship with somebody who was threatening me, threatening to hurt me. Like it was just such a shock. And I don't know. I also think that he was so unaware of his own threats. Like, I don't even think he was checked in, you know, to the world to be able to realize what he was really, how he was really showing up. But I understand that fear on some scale. And I, I think about you and just this idea of grit and how it can sound like this big umbrella term, but when I think about my career in counterterrorism, um, one of the things yeah. that they would judge people for when they were hiring them in the intelligence world was not about like what they knew about the country. I mean, all of that counted and their master's degree from Harvard or wherever the hell they came from it mattered, right. but right. then their language skills mattered. But what they cared about the most was how your body responds in moments of stress and panic. So yeah. And like, think about fighter pilots, like, are you going to be able to land the plane when like, you know, fire's coming at you and that comes back down to your nervous system. And I've always wondered, like, you know, I get the, the idea of feeling things need to like the fact that you went through so much loss. And then by 30, you had this like life on the outside, but on the inside, you know, you had this person you weren't safe going to bed next to. It's like, we all have those moments where it's like, shit, we tried to escape the grief and we can't. So we need to sit with these feelings. Yep. So I think a couple of questions is number one, like how do we sit with these feelings? Because I think a lot of people are scared. Like if I really let myself feel this loss or that loss, I'm not going to be able to get out of bed. I'm not going to be able to show up for work. Like I can't survive in the world. If I feel all this, like I think a lot of people go through that. So what are some thoughts you have for somebody who maybe they're listening right now and they're like, I'm, I'm dodging the bullet. Like, I know that this thing happened to me when I was a kid and I'm not, I have not sat with it. Um, what, what feedback would you have? Yeah, no. And it's this, this work is the most important is to be able to give yourself the gift of time. And there's not a right way or a wrong way to grieve. Uh, and I've, I've been asked this so much now, not that I'm, you know, the expert on grief by any means, but I feel as though so much of my life experiences have been just around that and the, the ability to rise above it, um, and rise through that. And 
it's really what one of the biggest things that that I began to do during that time and everyone's different but for me it was picking up that journal and literally how you would because for those of you who are you know type A's that are listening in who schedule things and schedule your workouts and schedule your time to go through your finances every Sunday it's like schedule your time to breathe Mm-hmm. And I know this sounds so weird and you're like, but I, but, but this is, you know, but if you are making it every single day and literally I've had this discussion and we've talked about this in different types of uh, workshops and facilitated events and treats and things like that, make your dedicated time to grieve, mm-hmm. whether it's an hour, 30 minutes where you are sitting with your feelings and where, because for some of you in this stage of the game, maybe you have children. Um, I just became a mom last year. And, you know, if we don't take our time, our own personal time to sit with whatever is moving through us, that stuff is going to come back up. And then yes, it'll come up, you know, 20 years later down in therapy or get triggered when, you know, somebody cuts you off in the road or something like that, because they're still, they're stuck. They're stuck. These are stuck feelings. And how can you actually make that time? So what I would suggest is give yourself, maybe it's the next 30 days, you know, it's the beginning of the month, the next 30 days to literally Maybe it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, and allow yourself set a timer because that always helps, but set a timer and you're going to journal what it is that you're feeling and give yourself that safe place. And your environment is key. So if you have a roommate or if you are in an area where you know you're going to be bothered, set that time where you can just be in your own tiny little cocoon. Um, maybe it's bath in, at night, you know, you draw your bath, but then you're writing in your journal, but literally spend that time to see what are the emotions that are coming up Um what is the situation that you want to resolve? And maybe it's the same thing over and over again for that month so that you can allow yourself to process and how it's moving through you. But the biggest thing is to give yourself that extended period of time and do it consistently and do it every day. Gosh. And I'm sure so many people are listening to us and they're like, no fucking way. Am I going to set aside 30 minutes to feel all of the pain that is probably lingering inside of me. And I think a lot of people have a belief that they have to do something with it if they feel it. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this idea of just being with it. Yeah. I mean, so you have to really give yourself the permission first because a lot of times, and and we have all of these coping mechanisms that we have to, you know, we, we call it your emotional grit kit and, you know, um, create experiences and ways for you to get out of the emotion. But if you've never experienced what that emotion is and to really sit with it and to really feel the discomfort through it and how it feels in your body and where it's, you know, where it's lingering, then you need, you're, you know, you need to give yourself the permission to do that. Like Mm -hmm. that should be your own work. And it's not a competition. You know, this is not where we compete with somebody and say, okay, I processed through that, you know, because everyone has a varying level of 
where they want to go with this, but it's okay to sit with it. And we're so taught so many times to, all right, let's do something else. Let's, you know, let's turn on that music that, or put on a playlist that's going to make us laugh. All of those things are great. But if you have not given yourself the time or the permission to really feel and know where that's like, and literally cry, I know for, I mean, it's not going to be easy. And that type of work is not easy but you know that it is essential. And I'm not trying to say that you have to do this for an extended period of time or go through the emotions of, um, you know, of of the depths of that darkness, but just give yourself the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you feel things, it, to me, kind of, I visualize like a big boulder, like a big iceberg or something. And it's like, every time we sit with it, like a little piece of it shaves off, you know? Um, Love that metaphor. yeah. And I also just, I'm thinking about like the human body and holding pain. Like, do you have any thoughts just about like, you know, like the somatic experience of feeling pain? Like I've heard some experts say that it's so interesting and ironic that we avoid certain pain our whole life when really, if we let our bodies feel that pain, it lasts about 20 minutes or 10 minutes. What are your thoughts on, you know, things like that, where it's like, this isn't maybe some words of comfort for people who think like, this is just going to only be painful and not get me anywhere. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, so I've been very fascinated about how, um, you know, the stress factors in our body uh, can manifest into disease, Mm -hmm. right? I lost both of my parents to cancer. And, you know, part of my own, you know, tiny little sliver of research around how the mind and the body and the emotional body is all connected um, is part of my curiosity lies into, wow, my parents were immigrants. They came here for a better life. They came here to chart the waters and there was so much stress and so much pressure around that. And if they even allowed themselves to talk about some of the stressors that they were feeling. And there's a lot of experts that talk about, you know, if you're holding pain in one area, you know, it'll start to manifest in disease. And, you know, we've even heard people curing their cancers from just releasing certain emotions. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, whether or not, you know, you're, you're attuned with believing all of that. I mean, that's been a big focus of my curiosity of, well, yeah, it makes sense because if we are so stressed out and if we are not allowing ourselves to release a lot of those toxic emotions, those toxic energies and, um, really allowing our body to process through that, then yeah, we're holding up we're holding on to a lot of that in our body. And I mean, for my own parents, I'm, I'm so curious if they were given that opportunity to not think that feeling is a weakness, not think that vulnerability is a weakness, which is another thing that I talk about a lot, but to just experience that. I wonder if that could have, you know, changed any, you know, a little bit of their fate or, or whatnot, but that has become, you know, a a really big curiosity for me because, um, 
those are stuck feelings and stuck emotions. And if they're stuck in our bodies, um, will that contribute to something much bigger, right? If we keep going, 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 a lot of times we stop because we get sick because there's something that stops us. And what if we allow ourselves to feel some of those things so that we clear our own energies and whatever we are going through in the process. And what's so powerful about this, I kind of think about it in terms of like, on a simple level, I I read the other day, uh, up to 88% of illnesses, serious illnesses start with stress, like stress is an underlying factor. And I was just thinking about if you, you know, the common sense of it, like a lot of people think can't really put this together of like, you know, your, your thoughts creating like serious illness, like cancer, but it's like from a common sense level, you know, if you think a traumatic thought, you start crying, like your body has an outer response, you know, like if you think about something painful, your body, your, your emotions start to respond. Your nervous system starts to respond. I think about your blood vessels and if they're constricting, if they're tightening, if your heart has to beat faster, you know, and that's exactly the the movie we're playing in our head when we have stress on us. So for me, uh, one salvation has been ever since. Um, and, and it's interesting because my dad had those cancers, but he was okay. And, you know, one thing for me has just been really valuing peace over everything. So yeah, like yeah. there's just nothing to me worth it. And it's so funny because my boyfriend, William, he's such a little angel, but he's like a little bit indecisive sometimes. And I always tell him, I'm like, oh, that's not even worth the indecision to me. Like the, 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 what you're putting your nervous system through of, of this or that, like that kind of like scarcity of like, Oh, what if I make the wrong choice? Like that kind of stress, like I I would never want that in my body. So I just kind of like have made peace with like, sometimes I'm going to win. Sometimes I'm going to lose like whatever that really means, you know? And, um, and, and it's looked like managing my energy from that way. Like I'm not very indecisive. Most of the time, I just believe that any decision is a decision and you're moving forward. You do the best you can, you know, like, um, anything that I am noticing is a pattern that keeps me from my well being. So in the past it was spending, like not managing money well with business, not knowing how to do numbers. I got a bookkeeper for the future. So that never happens again. Like I've learned how to manage a budget so that I don't put my nervous system through that. So I think one question I would have for anybody listening is like, where are you robbing yourself of a, of a peaceful nervous system? You know? Yeah. So good. So good. Yeah. I just, um, and, and I guess I'm also curious, like for people right now, maybe they're dealing with a parent who is sick or they're noticing that their parent is aging, Um, clearly you value your presence. You probably look at your family through a different lens, having gone through so much loss and responsibility at such a young age. Um, what wisdom do you have for somebody? Like, I know my dad, I'm noticing he's aging and it hurts my heart every time I see it. Um, what thoughts do you have about that? Yeah. So quite a few years ago, my family, um, and I've, I've lost my grandmother and my great aunt who also helped raise me in the last couple of years. So, um, but we are very, very grateful that, uh, in the time that we did spend together, uh, we made it a point to, you know, not just get together during holidays, but also when we, you know, if you have the opportunity to go away with your family, um, if you are in close proximity to them, make that time, 
like schedule it, schedule it to, you know, go on a trip with them. And when we, and, and, and not only, not only scheduling a trip or, or spending the actual time and being present with them, but also, you know, taking the time to get to know them outside of the regular mundane, um, and it's funny because I know that we're really into personal growth and so I can share this story. Uh, but there was, there was one, like I would literally take my grandmother who was bless her heart. You know, she, she, she at some point started to get dementia and then she had Alzheimer's. Um, but when she was still okay and saying, I would bring, you know, all of these different like leadership tests. So, you know, you know, MBTI. So like we did her MBTI one year and we did her disc profile another year, you know? So it was like doing things that like I knew that I felt were, were really interesting and cool, but then also to see their perspective, mm-hmm. um, and bring them and loop them into what you are, are doing. Because of course, as it's fun for you to figure out what your Enneagram is or whatever, um, it was also fun as like a fun activity to do where there's deep and meaningful connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of times, especially with our elders and especially with, um, our parents, we, you know, you're, maybe you're used to doing things together, but how about being, how about just being, and maybe even just, you know, asking questions from a different lens and a different perspective. Uh, because, you know, for me, when, when I lost my grandmother, you know, two years ago now, it was three years ago now, and my great aunt was two years ago, uh, you know, both of those deaths, I knew that, it was, it was almost like, wow, we really had, like, we had so many amazing memories together. Um, and these were the women that really stepped in that took care of my brother and I, when, you know, um, we were, we were younger. So for it to come full circle and really be able to celebrate their life because, we were intentional about our gatherings and even, you know, six months before my great aunt passed away, we were in Puerto Rico and we had a family, you know, we had a a family reunion there. So really a making the time be being intentional, see thinking of creative ways where it could lead to more meaningful conversations. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, a burning question about that I have is I know a lot of people don't feel connected to their family and it's something that they struggle with because like they feel like, I think a lot of people feel like they have to tolerate time with them. And I don't judge that because I get that some people, you know, are in your family and you really just didn't pick them to be there. And yeah. (laughs) So what, what feedback do you have for somebody that's like because I know that no matter how much you don't feel connected to your family you still feel a loss if something happens to somebody so what can we say to someone who you know maybe you've gone through all this loss and you want to impart this presence and value of family but then there's the person that's like I really just don't even get them and don't want to be around them what thoughts would you have for that Oh yes. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a few that I have in my own family, um, that you love them from afar and you're like, you wish them well, you know, I, I have to say as much as you've grown apart, as much 
which as you know, they may just not get you, you know, it, it, it's not, it may not be the easiest, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, you have a greater understanding of maybe their life experience and not that you want anybody to change because of course, you know, very well that, you know, perhaps maybe at this juncture, they might not be open to it. Um, but coming from, still coming from that lens of curiosity, still coming from that lens of, do I know everything about this person? And and what can I learn differently about this person this time? Mm. And it's, it may not be imparting like, you know, your thoughts or your values or whatever, because we know that that might open a Pandora's box that you might not be ready for. Mm-hmm. But maybe you can come from the lens of curiosity. Like mm. what's, you know, what's interesting for you this time around and, and not have any expectation at all, Mm. but just coming from the lens of curiosity, curiosity of maybe some other TV shows that they're watching or, or whatever, but without zero expectation. Cause a lot of times we get all worked up because we have an expectation in our minds of how things are supposed to be or how things could be, because you made the time to go there. You made the time to, you know, sit with them or, or, or visit or whatever. And they're not responding in the way you want. And of course we have this then mismanaged expectations, but what if, what if you just offer your presence in a way that's curious and that's almost investigative in a new lens, like this is just a new person and you're, um, getting to know them Mm. in a different way again, without zero expectations. That's so interesting to think about because I think a lot of people have these dynamics that are so ingrained with their family. And I have one member of my family, one of my mom's brothers, this uncle, and for so many years, he's a rocket scientist and he was so miserable. And then for some reason, the past like five years, he he like radiates sunshine and I haven't even been able to understand like what shifted. So I think also sometimes when we buy into this belief that this is how somebody is, we don't create that space for them to be who they are today, which is maybe somebody who's changed. So great. Just listening to you. Um, So for anybody right now who maybe is healing from a breakup, just as we kind of close things out, like what would be your one word of wisdom outside of feeling it um, for them to consider? Mm -hmm. Trust, trusting yourself and knowing that this time and this space for you as, as tough as it is to process trusting that this time is, is yours, you know, and this is, this is the, this is the juicy time. And even though it might feel like you're like, oh my gosh, Nepo, this is crazy. This is, this is crazy, but you'll never get that time again, the time right now to process, to feel, but to just trust, trust that you made the right decision, trust that the universe is going to unfold as it will, but trusting you Mm, at this time is completely yours. Oh, this has been so good. I'm so grateful for you. Where can everybody find all the things you're doing? Cause I know there's even more than your book and your Institute. Like talk to me about all of your things. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, yeah, well, we're we currently right now we're, we're gearing up for one of our semi-annual events, but um, you can find me at uh, nithabushin.com um, and uh, all of the fun stuff that we do at our Global Grit Institute, uh, where we manage transitions and uh, events. That's uh, globalgritinstitute.com, and I'm I'm always on Instagram, so. You can find me there. Say hello. I'd love to meet you. You're such a little treat. Thank you so much. Hey, friends. It's Ash here. Um, And I'm just reflecting on this episode with Nita Bouchon. I love her so much when she walks into the room as a friend. She's just got this energy that people really pick up on, and it's so beautiful. And I hope that you felt that too. And I just can't really imagine what it would be like for most of your immediate family members to pass away in such a short period and to turn into a caretaker for your little brother at such a young age. And I know there's a lot of heartbreak out there and that, and there's a lot of joy out there and that a lot of people are on their own journey. And Nita is such an example. Um, And it reminds me of a Booker T. Washington quote that I'm about to butcher, but the essence of it is um, he says, I never judge a man by the um, distance that he has gone, but rather the depth from which he's come. And I always think about that um, because the idea behind that quote, uh, and I read it when I was a history major, and again, I totally butchered it, but it's along that line, is this idea that we see people in society going really far and we give them these accolades and we admire them. But the truth of the matter is that what's really powerful is when you start to realize um, where somebody might have started to get to where they are. Um, I think a lot about my friend Craig Clemens, who is the number one copywriter in the world. And he was working at Home Depot and a club promoter 10 years ago. Um, I think a lot about uh, Nita, who you know, like got out of a narcissistic, abusive marriage and had all of her immediate family members except for her little brother die and still has really thrived. And I've gotten really fascinated by what is it between the difference between the people who thrive and the people who struggle and never recover. And I'm continuing to get clear that Um, I think the people who thrive are the ones who sometimes will use their pain and make it fuel, but eventually they'll hit a a wall, they'll hit a limit and they'll have to look at their pain because their pain will start to run their lives and keep them from everywhere else. Because usually when we have pain, we get fire somewhere in our lives, we move, but um, it doesn't create a holistic life. You know, maybe her pain was channeled into her career in a positive way, but it looked like um, a lot of disconnect in her personal relationships until she looked at it in her marriage. So uh, what I want to offer you is just this um, feedback that I experienced through reading the book Letting Go by Hawkins. And I know you've probably heard me mention it if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. David Hawkins basically in the book talks about how everybody is walking around with a certain level of pain inside of them and everybody's pain looks different. For some people, it's sadness. For some people, it's anger. Whatever it is, it's unexpressed pain that they've been carrying with them throughout their life. And um, the thing is, until you express that pain, you keep shopping like around your life subconsciously for opportunities to air out some of that pain. So if your primary pain is grief or your primary pain is anger or rage or um, sadness, whatever it is, 
usually, you know, and if you think about people, you know, that friend that always gets angry, like they're always kind of perturbed about something, their primary pain would be anger. Um, or that person who's always sad. Um, in my, my dad's case, he's always grieving. The guy has a lot of grief, like his first wife, um, before he met my mom, um, they had a divorce and she died unexpectedly after the divorce. Um, my big sister from his first marriage, she passed away. So my dad has a lot of grief and he's been carrying that grief in him like an emotional backpack. And he takes it with him everywhere he goes. And in some, sometimes it makes him very productive because he doesn't want to be with his pain. So he kind of like will go really to far lengths to avoid it. Other times it slows him down in other areas of his life. So I want you to ask yourself, what is the primary force? What is the primary pain that you are carrying with you in your emotional backpack? What is the primary feeling that you've experienced in your life that you haven't dealt with? In my case, it's exhaustion. Um, I was really tired as a little kid. My dad was going through a lot and I was always really tired having to kind of hold the space for what he was going through. Um, and, and also in my first company, it went under and I fought really hard before it did. Before all that debt came my way, I fought really hard for the company and I didn't sleep for a few years. And so exhaustion has been a primary pain that I carry with me in my emotional backpack. And um, it, it, it helped me in a lot of ways. It served me in a lot of ways. I would try to be more effective in business. I would try to come up with creative ideas that um, were a lot more leveraged than a lot of entrepreneurs. So I was always looking for ways to work less hard. So it served me in that regard. Um, but eventually I had to deal with my pain, which was my exhaustion, because it would also look like me looking at a small task and thinking it was a big task because I was so burnt out that I didn't want to do anything. And people being like, Ash, why are you acting like this is a big deal? It's a small five minute thing. Maybe it was as quick as making a phone call and it was like, oh my gosh, it felt like a molehill making that phone call. So it's because I hadn't dealt with that pain. And so in the book, Letting Go, David Hawkins argues that whatever you're carrying in your emotional backpack, whatever that primary pain is, you're looking for experiences in your life to blame it on. So um, you're constantly airing it out. So if you think about that girl who's always angry or you think about that person like me who's always tired. A lot of that's because we haven't felt our pain. In Anita's case, it must have been a lot of grief. Like she had a lot of loss. And instead of dealing with her pain, it looked like her working really hard. But eventually, her pain translated into some stories, some mindsets, and some limitations about her lovability and her worthiness. And that translated into her marriage. So um, in your case, I want to ask you, what is the primary pain that you're carrying around in your life? And how are you airing it out? Because David Hawkins argues that we just look for little opportunities in life without realizing we're looking for them to just air out a little slice of that pain that we're carrying with us in our backpack, um, whatever that primary aspect is, you know. And for me, I'm always in a story like, oh, that's so tiring. I don't want to deal with that. And um, I have a lot of that with technology in my business. I have a lot of that with finances. Like I find money really draining sometimes. And I have a lot of stories I've worked through with that. So you know, I continue to work through them. So just to ask you, like, where do you need to start letting go? Where do you need to start looking at your pain? What is the primary pain you need to look at? And where can you take responsibility for the fact that maybe you're blaming other things as the reason why you're so angry or so upset or so tired when really there's other things in your life that you need to heal from that created that huge boulder of pain that you're not facing. Um, and every time we face it, we chip away at that boulder, just a little slice, a little bit 
habit um, versus blaming external circumstances or other people um, and displacing our anger onto them. So where can you take more responsibility today? Where can you start to let go so that you can free up your energy, get into more power, and most importantly, get into all the joy that you're really meant to be having in this life. So sending you love as usual. Take care. Can't wait to connect next week. Hit me up on the gram what you think of this episode. And also tag Nita at Nita Bouchon. She's amazing. Uh, We can't wait to connect with you. Sending you love. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has down the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.